The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is Adam Miller, aka Old Fun Facts. Adam is a very successful and respected football writer and columnist who started out by writing and sharing jokes online before turning it into a full-time career. We talk about how he made that jump and some of the experiences that he's had so far, the transformative power of doing what you really enjoy in life and finding fulfilment and the positive influence that new faces and voices in media can have and plenty more. Leathered is written, recorded and produced by me and me alone and it's grown on word of mouth. So if you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it, because it always helps. Cheers. Adam Miller, a.k.a. Old Firm Facts, on Twitter as well as many people will know you. Many people that can take a joke, because Twitter's a great place for that, <laughs> isn't it? How are you doing, mate? I'm doing good, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Sean. No, a real pleasure. Um, very keen just to find out more. Obviously, the pseudonym Old Firm Facts, a lot of people, it's like uh, people will wonder who it is, I know you've done a lot of appearances, mm-hmm. um, but here's one more, so uh, podcast appearances that is, so there's one more so we can sort of find out a bit more about you. Mm-hmm. Um, I will just let you take the floor, you can tell me in terms of growing up, what life was like, where you grew up, that kind of thing. Uh, well, I grew up in Glasgow and football was a you know, really big part of my life just from an early age. Um, I, it was to the point where when... I was in, when I was in primary school, it was almost like a kind of running joke with the teachers. I would actually get slagged off for how geeky I was about football, <laughs> and um, yeah. So, so from an early age, it was just football was the big thing for me. And then, you know, when you become a teenager, you get all the other things that come into your life, girls and music and all the rest of it. But football was always a big constant for me. And you, once you get to you know, your teenage years, you realise whether you're actually going to be a footballer or not. And it was apparent to me probably by the time I was about nine that that was just not going to happen. But uh, writing was a big thing for me. I was, even as a teenager, I was always just kind of devouring match reports and interviews and all that kind of thing. And I did my work experience at different newspapers and all the rest of it. Did a couple of work experience shifts at the uh, Super Scoreboard and Radio Clyde. Um, But then in my 20s, I sort of kind of, didn't drift out of football, but I drifted out of the, the writing in my early 20s. And then uh, once I got into Old Fun Facts, the, the, the Twitter account that I set up, then the opportunities eventually sort of started to come. But I just went about it in a sort of weird roundabout kind of way. Mm-hmm. I like that when people do that because it's come purely from the passion and enjoyment, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I don't know if I've worded that right, but you've you've done it for fun and then it's become more of a sort of... Uh, professional and and what's the word official thing absolutely i mean it wasn't something i've I've said this before when i started the account there was no kind of grand plan there was no real ambition with it it was purely just the case of and i, I give him a shout out on most, <laughs> most podcasts that i'm on but uh my mate stevie who is part of the extreme polls podcast we used to work together years ago and he was very he was really into twitter and this was kind of early days of twitter and i didn't really see the point of it but he kept saying to me it's like you'd be good at twitter so one day i had a couple of ideas for jokes and i just thought well i'll stick these out didn't think anything of it Mm. but then once you have a good one and people start sharing it then 
people start following you and suddenly it's a thing and there was never any intention of it being a thing it was just a just a space for me to put a couple of jokes but it kind of grew arms and legs and because you build up a following suddenly that makes you a viable you know thing for newspapers or websites or whatever whereas mm. before you know i couldn't have just emailed these guys without the twitter account and just said by the way i think i'm quite funny can i write jokes for your newspaper <laughs> or your website it was um i think particularly in over the last few years if you're able to show someone that you've built up a few followers that you've got a kind of ready-made audience then that's obviously going to mm. make you more attractive to these people yeah i'm really interested in that concept and sort of idea because i always speak to people who say um, I would really love to do this for this company or this type of thing, but yeah, how do you get into it? And I always kind of say, I know it's not this straightforward, but also when you break it down, it is. Just do it, like just go and do it. Do it for the do it for the enjoyment. Because if if you don't enjoy doing it, then you're not going to stick at it anyway. Um, yeah. So do it for the enjoyment. It'll be, you know things will build up and then doors will open because it is far easier. Like imagine I had uh, if I had uh, approached like. Uh, Fiona White and Janice Forsyth and being like, I think I could make a good podcast. They would go, well, where is it? Yeah, and it's you. Ha- you have to first go and just actually create it. Yeah, and uh, the thing is, if you do something that you're passionate about and enthusiastic about, then there's always going to be people with similar interests to you. I think the the best way to approach it. Um, I saw some. It's always stuck in my mind. Year, years ago, I watched a documentary about. I think it was British, just British comedy in general. And someone was talking about uh, Alan Partridge, uh, like Steve Coogan's shows. You're not just I'm Alan Partridge, but all the Alan Partridge stuff. And they were mm-hmm. talking about how uh, the the kind of guiding principle with that wasn't let's make something that uh, appeals to everyone. It's let's make something that makes us laugh, that makes like me and my mates laugh. Because if me and my mates really like this, there's bound to be people with kind of similar sense of humor out there. Whereas mm-hmm. if you think if you just try and do something that you think everyone will like, then you might get quite a lot of people quite liking it. But if you make something that you really love, that you're really passionate about, then you're going to get other people who really love it and are really passionate about it. And then the word of mouth grows and all the rest of it. Um, and yeah. for me, once I kind of like, I, I will hold my hands up. I think about probably for the first year or so of the old fun fact stuff, I didn't really kind of have a a particular style or a particular kind of voice with it. I didn't really know what I was doing with it. And once I kind of got my voice with it and once I uh, worked out what the tone of it was and got better at it, um, then I was, you know, then the doors did start to open a bit. And throughout all that, it's always been a case of... um, just do the stuff that makes me laugh. If I find it funny, then there's going to be other people that find it funny. There's no point just going, just just trying to put something generic out because you think it might get a few retweets. If if it's not made you laugh, then those retweets or whatever just mean nothing. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Just it's like an authenticity that people attach themselves to. Because um, there's a, there's a few people. There's I won't even be specific in my description so that nobody can identify them by means of <laughs> jigsaw identification. But there's an individual who does that, like he lifts, actually lifted a, lifted something for your pal Stevie once, um, and just in order to try and go viral. And you're like, you just seem like a, like you've got zero personality, man. Come on, yeah. yeah. Or just like following the template of, I think that I, I mean, we've all we've all been guilty of it at times, just for pattern and stuff. If you do mm-hmm. find it funny, but it's the like the recent template is 
Oh, so you won't take the vaccine, but you'll take <laughs> and insert yeah. um, illegal drug like on a Tuesday night at insert random bar in Glasgow. That's gone from basically the when that started, that was just a very effective, well-made point, which was you absolutely should ridicule these anti-vaxxers because they're so inconsistent. But now it's become almost like a meme and a template and people are just yeah. trying to kind of score retweets off it or whatever. And it's sort of lost the original meaning. The original meaning of it was, you know, that there was a good point behind it, you know, that people yeah. are uh, being pretty hypocritical about this. With the, um, we'll come back to the anti-vax things because we were talking about this off air and uh, there are some funny points to be made just to for the general discussion. But going back to the old firm facts, first of all, I was one of the originals because I know I was there from the start. I can't remember <laughs> when it was, but I know I was. Um, I've always been a fan. But um, how long did it take until somebody, I'm assuming it was somebody at the Daily Record who got in touch and was like, we would like to have you in doing something for us? Yeah, um, I, I was speaking to someone at the record um, after about maybe a year, 18 months of doing all fun facts. And it started off, I mean, by that point, I had maybe about like 3,000 followers or something like that. Um, but that's enough to say, you know, you've built a kind of audience. There are people mm. out there who like this kind of thing. Um, and what that led to was me writing every Saturday I would have just about sort of 15, 20 jokes that I'd curated that would go, that you know, I'd written throughout the week and I'd pick my favourite ones and they would go down the side of the page in Saturday's paper. And that's still like in the, the years that I've been doing Old Fun Facts now, the moment when that was agreed was probably the most excited I've been about anything just because it was mm-hmm. the first, like everything that I've done since then has been kind of building off the back of getting that break. So that was the first time it gone from being just a thing that got a few retweets to, well, this is actually get there's there's some credibility here. I'm I'm in a newspaper. I'm actually you know this is the paper mm. that that my mum and dad read when I was a wee boy, and I'm I'm in it now. And it was probably the first time I could actually say to like my dad, there's something I'm doing something worthwhile here. You know, I'm not uh-huh. just you know because uh, for years and. Even after that point for years, I was still working in my day job was working in call centres. So my career was, you know, I was paying the bills, but I wasn't doing anything exciting in my career. Um, just like training people in call centres and writing on the side. And so uh, getting this break, it was a foot in the door. Was That's definitely been one of the most exciting moments for me, just to actually have that sort of credibility. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean about that with the credibility, because making your own sort of media your own sort of content you you've got the whole standalone identity um but the minute that you get the the call or the sort of validation of all oh, you'd also like yeah. to have you and it, it gives you a buzz like there's people who've said to me oh i very good you you said uh, you said negative things about the bbc or about other publications in the past and and now look at you because you're getting offered a bit of money and i, I always think well First of all, that was years ago. It was historic. Um, I, I was a wee guy. Like I think everybody yeah. does. A, there is a, there is a trend amongst football fans to to condemn anything that comes from a newspaper or because it comes from somebody, and it becomes this sort of cacophonous rabble that you get swept up in. And then obviously you get to a point where you kind of grow up and go, wait a minute, <laughs> like I, I think that was a bit ridiculous of me yeah. to oh, to have oh. said that in the past. 
also the thing is with with organizations as big as the bbc i think even if you work for the bbc you can still find fault with various parts of it the bbc isn't one thing the bbc is it's a huge thing it's, it's like saying i hate the bbc because you hate you know Strictly Come Dancing or something like that. Or because you hate, you're raging at Ready Steady Cook. Yeah, or because you hate Gary Lin- or you disagree with Gary Lineker about Brexit. It's like saying that you mm-hmm. won't shop in, you know, the uh, Buchanan Galleries because someone at Greg's was rude to you. You know, there's there's lots of other shops at the Buchanan Galleries, and you know, the BBC is this huge, like, multi tentacle thing, and uh, mm. I don't think anyone who works in an organisation that big is going to agree with everything that's involved in it. Um, I've and yet I don't... to meet a BBC employee who doesn't have something <laughs> disparaging to say. Exactly. And like from having spent the last couple of years working in a newsroom, there's no one who's in that newsroom or any newsroom who agrees with absolutely everything that the paper or the websites publish. But if you mm. take pride in what you're doing and you don't, co- you know, you don't sort of forgo your own principles, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, compromise on what i believe or whatever then mm-hmm. you know you can live with certain you know things that you don't necessarily agree with happening because it's a big company and lots of people doing lots of different things in lots of different ways yeah i completely agree um with reference just going back to what you were saying about you you first got the you're choosing the jokes in the side that they were going to the side of the paper mm-hmm. did that how did that develop into you becoming a like a full-time like working a full-time di- sort of digital journalism? Was it just a natural progression? Well, the big thing for me, and it's all, like, I get, I really like, one of the things I really like about having established a wee bit of a profile now is that I get people sending me private messages saying, can you give me a bit of advice? Or can you read this over? Can you give me a bit of feedback? And one of the biggest things I always say to people is keep the quality up. Like, don't don't just hand in anything. Really mm-hmm. put the time into you know make sure the quality stays the same but the really big ones are hit the deadlines i know it sounds like a really obvious thing but always hit the deadlines and make yourself an agreeable person to work with because i know from experience i know from um hearing things about various people as i'm sure you have as well that there are people who are talented out there and they're sitting there miserable because they go oh I can write better than that guy or I can do this better than that guy, but I never get the jobs. And the reason for that is that in Scotland, in particular, Scott, you know, everyone kind of knows everyone. All the editors know all the other editors. You know, all the production people know all the other production people. And if you've been someone that's been, you know, a bit of a dick when you've been working with someone, then mm. that, you know, that kind of, that reputation spreads and someone goes, mm-hmm. oh, he was working for you before with, uh, and I've been talking to him. And they say, no, nah, don't get that guy involved. So the biggest thing I always say is just be an agreeable person to work with and hit the deadlines. And mm-hmm. for me, when I was uh, when I started on that, because it was I couldn't believe my luck I was getting this opportunity in the paper, I was like, just whatever I do, no matter how late I have to be up at night doing this, around, you know, fitting it around the day job, I want it to be as good as possible. I'm always going to hit the deadlines and I'm always going to be a kind of agreeable person uh, you know, when I'm in discussions with the editor or whatever. And so that went on for a couple of years. And then Euro 2016, because it'd been, you know, it'd shown I could hit these deadlines and all the rest of it, they asked me to do TV guides for, uh, or TV reviews for the Euro 2016 coverage. So it's basically uh, every night I'd watch the games and write a 350-word column about what Gary Lineker's been saying, Martin O'Neill, Patrice mm-hmm. Evra, whoever, 
uh, and it had to be funny and it had to have you know a beginning a middle and an end a structure and it had to be exactly 350 words and it had to be submitted by 10 o'clock like not a minute later because it goes out in the next day's paper and uh, that was that was a totally new discipline for me because all I'd been doing mm-hmm. up to that point was just writing jokes and there was no kind of shape to it or anything like that but with that it was your you're basically you're doing it all on the spot sometimes the game wouldn't even or the the program wouldn't start to like half seven so you've got maybe two and a half hours between you know you've got a blank document in front of you 350 words have to be on that they have to flow so it's not just a list of bullet point jokes or whatever you know mm-hmm. there has to be a kind of a theme you have to decide is this a column about like mark lawrenson being a miserable guy or whatever um okay so that's the theme how do I say that for 350 words and keep it fresh or whatever? Mm-hmm. And because what will happen nine times out of 10 is you'll panic about how am I going to hit that target? And then with 10 minutes before the deadline, you're 150 words over. And it's like, how do I edit that down? So you're yeah. learning, you're learning writing, editing, all the rest of that. And I was doing it, I think I did about 17 columns during the tournament and it was relentless. But again, I was like, if I can hit these deadlines, if I can keep the quality up, um, and I can be flexible with them, and they, you know, and they like what I'm doing, something's going to come of it. I'm pretty confident. And sure enough, mm-hmm. the tournament finished, and I went into the office for a meeting. So this was, um, I think, only the second time I'd been in the office, and they offered me a position doing columns twice a week for Glasgow Live, and that was basically the beginning of me being a columnist. And it was just mm-hmm. it was just a case of, you know, every every night I hit those deadlines, I think I kept the quality up. Um and that paid off. Now you're saying like being agreeable, hit deadlines and work late. Do you find that also easy? Because you, well, first of all, it's doing something that you thoroughly enjoy. So straight mm-hmm. away, although there's an element of stress, it's pretty much like for fun, isn't it? Because to a degree yeah. you would have been doing something similar anyway, just for for your own amusement um but the other thing i get the impression that I'm, i'll try and explain this analogy take uh let's just say a youth player who came through the ranks at man united from the age of eight and then he gets okay. straight up to the first team and he's never known any difference so he might be like oh fuck's sake can he go and stay at the lowry hotel in manchester again on a friday night and then take like a jimmy bullard painter and decorator who goes into west ham and you hear him talking about his career and he's like i loved every minute i loved the training I loved the mm-hmm. traveling, like I loved all these things. Is there an element of that with you where you you might just think, oh, well, these downsides, I don't mind them too much because I had a, a life that was different previously? Yeah, I mean, the the exact, if, if we're doing that analogy, I always think of uh, like Ian Wright. I'm sure Ian Wright didn't start, uh, you know, I'm sure yeah. he was at lower league, or Jamie Vardy as well. I'm sure these guys were kind of lower league until the yeah, mid to late 20s. Um, and yeah, I think you do appreciate it a bit more. Um, because I, I think there was maybe a point when I was doing work experience as a teenager. I did like work experience at the Herald, um, a couple other places, and you just sort of think, well, these, you know, it'll be a natural progression, and then you realise life doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, mm. and so happened, you know, because it happened for me a little bit later. I was, I was like, this is absolutely amazing, and getting the chance to do the columns, it was, you know, it's a. It was a lot. It was a lot of work because you're doing it around your day job, but you don't you don't have any uh, issue with doing that because you're doing something that you enjoy doing, and you mm. know 
as with the the Euro 2016 comms, you know that if you do this well, there's going to be other opportunities that come up. The um, I, I went to go on to another topic, so I'm going to keep that in mind about inspiration for stuff. Um, what I will ask is, what was your previous work? I don't want to go. I don't want to go too far into it. Not even that mm-hmm. there's a re- an issue or that it's irrelevant, but it's like I kind of wanted to keep. I don't know. Does that make sense? Keep that yeah, for yeah, you, yeah. but. Yeah. How how we, how how did that feel though? Like when you you go to, to the work that you're do, that you were doing, and then saying that well, like I, I won't be back because I'm actually moving on to something else. Well, it was everywhere I've been. Like as I, I reckon, from the time that I started doing the the jokes down the side to the time that I went full time in the newsroom, it's got it's probably about four and a half years of me juggling you know, various types of writing with working mm. in call centres. And I'd worked in call centres for years. Um, and you'd have you'd have strange moments because, like, people... Bec- <laughs> Most people who I was training in those places didn't know that I was old firm facts because, obviously, I, I keep things anonymous. Like, obviously, all my friends and family know that it's me. But beyond that, I'm very kind of selective with who I tell, you know. And... Uh, you'd get these moments where you're training people and part of it's always, you know, when you're getting a new group, it's like, so tell us three facts about yourself and all the rest of it. And I'm thinking, I could tell them that I was on off the ball at the weekend. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, everyone that I worked with that, that knew, I obviously had to let my managers and all that know so I could say to them, yeah. look, do you mind if I get off early a wee bit today because I've got to go and write something about Poland v Switzerland or whatever. <laughs> and it was they always knew that that was my kind of goal was to eventually become full-time with that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, but it was sort of, uh, it, it was, I don't know if surreal is the right word, but you'd be doing eight hours of talking about gas and electricity or car insurance or whatever it is and you'd just be constantly like call centers you're not even really allowed to have your phone on you you know because data protection and all the rest of it but because i was mm-hmm. a trainer i could sort of sneak away various points and i'd be like looking at my phone going right what's pedro cashinha done or whatever <laughs> um but uh, yeah so it was i you know call centers weren't what i wanted to be doing for the rest of my life but i met a lot, a lot of good people through it. A lot of my good friends are from call centres, and um, it gave me because it was a, a nine to five job. Um, it gave me the space and the flexibility to do this kind of thing. If I'd been in various other professions where you'd work in all sorts of shifts around the clock, I might not have had this sort of flexibility mm-hmm. and the free time and the energy even to devote myself to to writing so much. And turning it into a full-time gig and then it was two th- summer of 2018 I was doing the TV reviews again for the World Cup and it was getting a bit ridiculous the hours that I was having to jump away and all the rest of it and my manager was uh, at the call centre was really patient with me but he could tell that my you know I kind of had one eye on the exit door and then all that all through that summer I had uh, my editor at uh, Glasgow Live was basically trying to get the deal sorted to turn me full time and mm-hmm. he was giving me like daily updates i was on the phone with him every day going come on please tell me it's done now i cannot take another <laughs> day of this um and i think it was around sort of september that it all got sorted is your mattress making noises it never used to or is it sagging causing you to 
then it's time to get a new one. Get the best sleep at the best value with a Nectar mattress. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. Uh, um, I've worked in call centers before as well. It's, you meet a, a very interesting amount of people, don't you? A, a very different yeah. characters, and everybody always seems to have some other sort of dream. Yeah, well, it's, it's not. I mean, the thing with call centers is it's not um, knowing who's there is envisaging that they're going to be in a call center for the rest of their lives. But yeah. it it teaches you a lot of kind of valuable skills in terms of interacting with people, and you realize that you know because you you start off. Before you can't just become a trainer at a call centre. You have to start off on the phones, and it's been mm-hmm. it's been years since I was ever on a on a phone call in a call centre. But that is like you still have an element of PTSD about it. It's just those some of those calls don't leave you. People can be uh, unforgiving when you're speaking to them on the phone, um, right. and that. But it, when you're doing that at a kind of young age, it really sort of shapes you and teaches you to be able to to speak to people and uh, to engage with people and all the rest of it. And those are good skills for when you're getting into the media. And there's all sorts of people who have, I'm sure, gone on to really good careers who were in call centres at one point as well. Mm. I'm not turning this like a pure Disney movie, but (laughs) there's an inspiring element to it that, you know, you can can make anything happen for yourself if if you really want to, uh, and Mm -hmm. if there is an element of passion there. Um, focused more on on the actual writing so mm-hmm. again for anybody who still is unaware of what old form facts is it's your twitter account where you're basically shining a light on the the bizarre the funny the ridiculous of scottish football now i don't think there is any other maybe apart from the british government and the scottish government at times to be honest because they're no they're um, certainly no shy for having their own scandals <laughs> but there's there's no organisation or there's no collective thing that provides more content than Scottish football. It's unrivaled. No. Like it's ridiculous. It's almost as if it, it's writing itself for you. Obviously, you have to come in and curate it. But yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. And people would always people would say to me uh, in the kind of first couple of years, they'd be like, "How are you coming up with this stuff?" And I'm like, "Well, it's mainly just Rangers giving me the, the material, you know." Because <laughs> it got, you know, the time it started was around the time Rangers went into liquidation, and uh, there was constantly there were constantly storylines coming out of Ibrox, and as a result of that, I think a lot of people assumed that this was like an anti-Rangers account, mm. and the, the kind of principle of the account for me has always been a like make it funny, but b it's just jokes about whatever's happening at that time, which is yeah. why at the present moment, so much of it is jokes taking the piss of Celtic. And that's... Yeah, Celt- Celtic have truly taken over that mantle of the banter years as it yeah, stands. Yeah, uh, Rangers have passed them the baton. Um, it's just been... It, it's, it's just what's happening at any given time. And the nature of particularly Celtic and Rangers is there has to be by default, there has to be one of them in crisis at any given moment because if you're yeah. Celtic or Rangers and you're not top of the league, then you are almost like by default in crisis. Um, and Cel- for Celtic, it's gone from in the space of a couple of months um, a sort of complacency about not how they're going to win 10 in a row, it's just when 
uh, not are they going to win it, it's just a case of when to suddenly two two wins out of ten and it's in free fall. And you know from years of following Scottish football yourself, you know how quickly these things can turn around as well. Mm. And you know, like, thinking back to last season, uh, Rangers winning the 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 Old Firm game uh, in December. At that point, you know, Rangers have the kind of the edge at that point. And then within about 10 weeks or whatever, Rangers are losing at home to Hamilton Ackes. And it's amazing how quickly these things can turn around. So, early, like early days, it was just constantly uh, Rangers material just because it was the biggest storyline in Scottish football for so long. And it was just a revolving door of bizarre characters coming in and out of Ibrox, you know, from Craig White to Charles Green and all the rest of yeah. it. Um, John Brown shouting on the on the, on the, <laughs> the steps at Ibrox. There's just every day there was some kind of new surreal moment coming out of Ibrox, yeah. and then I kind of, although it says old firm in the title, you know, I'll, I'll make jokes and I'll write about anything that's happening in Scottish football if it's funny or if it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny what you say about how quickly it can turn because. So I my first my first ever football memory like of an actual game was actually when uh, Henrik Larson gave the ball away to Chick Charnley at Easter Road <laughs> in his debut. That's the first one I remember watching the highlights that night mm-hmm. and actually taking in what had happened. Um, but then it was the next season because I still lived in England at that point. But it was the next season. John Barnes is the first I remember. So mm-hmm. you're talking twenty one years of of just eating living, breathing, sleeping, everything. Firstly, Celtic, and then secondly, Scottish football. Mm-hmm. And even until now, after 21 years' experience, I have only just realised that when you're winning, you think, well, this is it. And then when it when it turns on its head within what feels like one day, you kind of go, oh, wait, no, fuck, it can. It can it can totally change like at any moment's notice. And I wonder if that's also why I don't know whether there's, there's a multitude of reasons why Celtic fans and why we're all going absolutely mental right now. But mm-hmm. I think it's... And we have seen it coming. We've, I'm not to turn this into a pure football discussion. We have seen it coming. But I think you genuinely forget that anything can happen. That football is cyclical and you don't always know when that cycle is going to change or when it's going to break. And it causes you some amount of stress because you're like, here, we've just won everything in sight. How has this all of a sudden happened? But it... The wheels can fall off at any time, and it can be for the for the most bizarre reasons. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you: Has anybody in the past ever sent you your own partner, not realizing <laughs> that it's you? I get that a lot. Uh, one that I've had loads recently was there was a meme that I made ages ago um, of Maradona, where he's drinking this massive bottle, and I just wrote down the side of the bottle, "Shelton Tears." Right, <laughs> I've and seen that. I did that ages ago, and I'll bring it up bring it up occasionally and obviously when he passed away the other week um i brought it out again but the amount of times that maradona has been discussed and people have sent me that meme and i don't know when they're sending me it whether they know that it's mine or it's Aye. just come up but like you'll see it on like i, I, I saw it on people's like, insta stories and all that and there was a uh, there was one i made of uh, nicola sturgeon after scotland qualified a couple of weeks ago mm. and i was seeing that like I wasn't even. I don't even get bothered about that stuff anymore because I think the nature of those memes is that someone, someone at some point crops it and then they send it to their pal and then they send it. And so no, most people sharing it don't know who the original 
person. Yeah, where it came from. Yeah, that's that's fine. I don't I, I don't get bothered about it, but my wife was absolutely raging about it because she was seeing, <laughs> she was seeing friends of hers sharing it on Instagram. She's like, Adam, that's another one that stole it off you, and I'm like. I get that it's coming from a good place, but it's like you can't just police all that once it's once it's Aye. out there. If it, if it gets more than a few retweets, it just kind of um, takes the away like, from the phone. Uh, here we are, the partner police. Can you explain where you got this from? <laughs> exactly. But there was um, there, you do get weird moments when people start telling you jokes, and you and you have to tell them that not you know, like there was a guy when I worked in the call center about it's maybe about five years ago, and I was on this training course with a guy. Um, and he was, <laughs> he was, he started. He was like, we're talking about football, and he's like, oh, if you're into football, right? How about this for a joke? And he started telling me, it and uh, I finished it off for him. And he's like, oh, you've heard it. I was like, well, I kind of wrote it. <laughs> 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 um, so, so yeah, you you do get a, a fair bit of that, and uh, there's a big difference between people deliberately stealing something and cropping up, cropping out who wrote it, and then just yeah. trying to get loads of retweets off it. You can tell when when people have done that to try and get a bit of clout as you'd put it now. Um yeah. but it's most like people no, sorry, I was gonna say it's always footy lad banter accounts. Exactly. You know, Who exactly. wrote this? Well the <laughs> laughing faces and you're like, Well you've just fucking quoted the person that wrote it, mate. Exactly. Have you seen there's a guy uh, I've been watching his videos recently, guy, uh, I think his name's Sean Burke and Oh the he, Irish guy. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah he's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I absolutely he, love his stuff. He does one uh, and it's the guy you might have seen it then the guy that sits down at his computer and yeah, he's, he's like this, there's a funny video clip just sitting on his computer but it's not attributed to anyone and he's like oh, I want to share this with other people but I don't know who did it how am I gonna <laughs> how am I gonna find how you know how am I gonna share this but not know who's behind it what I could do is I could stick it out there with the words who did this and then I'll just have to accept the burden of all the praise and the retweets <laughs> and that'll be my burden to live with Aye, uh, he's absolutely hilarious I, who did this, find out who did it it's not that hard no, no. you know who did it, you just removed it Exactly. Um, I, Scottish football fans obviously well known for being able to take a joke when it's at their own expense in mm-hmm. opposite land how do you deal with that if people come to you because I always see like I, I, I laugh, let's just say you'd be slagging Rangers and some Celtic fan, you'll then, so, oh, sorry, let's say you slag Celtic mm-hmm. and there's a Celtic a Celtic fan is saying like, you're an arsehole, there is no old firm, blah, 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 this isn't funny and then you will dig out where he's been laughing at the Rangers jokes and like, it, it doesn't just go one way, pal, come on. Ex- like, exactly. I think it's really important that you're able to just take a joke at your own expense and take a joke at your team's expense as well. My favourite kind of reaction, uh, that, that genuinely I think is like, it's lovely when people respond to a tweet of yours and go, that's brilliant or whatever. But my favourite kind of response is when people say, you know, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry or whatever when their own team's just Aye. been beaten or they're going through a tough time or whatever. And I've had a fair bit of that from Celtic fans over the last few weeks so you know sometimes I'll share the abusive ones but most of the times you just kind of try and ignore them but uh, those ones as as much as I get plenty of abuse those guys tend to be the sort of vocal minority most people yeah. are able to take a joke at their own team and when you get a response like oh I was having a crap night and this has cheered me up you know after their team's been beaten those that's like my favorite kind of feedback Right, like I would, I would echo. I think was it Bill Shankly who said, foot, "Some people say football is a matter of life and death. It isn't. Mm-hmm. It's more important than that." I echo that. Mm-hmm. Like I totally 
it means everything to us and it always has but also in the same breath it is football you need to laugh yeah. uh, I, th- I think I made you a thing me once actually last season because I had been at uh, or must have been your rundown of the weekend in the mm-hmm. paper because I had been at I refuse to call it Tony Macaroni. I've been at Almondville, <laughs> and uh, I've watched us get beat. Spaghetti had. Uh, spaghetti had. I, I think I said um, went to Almondville. I went to living away at Livingston the day, um, and all I have to say, I can't remember what it was, but basically it was like the pie was really good, and their fizzy juice was actually just bang <laughs> on the money. Not too much syrup, not too much sugar. I've got nothing more to report. It's like if you can't you laugh, and so I'm not going to get pure raging if somebody's taking a piss or laughing because it's funny. Was that uh, was that the two 0 game? Because that was um, aye, oh raging! I was absolutely I, raging. I was in Rome then on oh, the you? last. It was the last day of my honeymoon, and I checked. <laughs> the, I checked the score and I put a tweet out, and then the tweet that I used got used as the headline in the Sun the next day, and everyone was tweeting me going, "Have you seen the Sun? The Sun stole your pattern," and it was basically because um, we're playing at the you know spaghetti had. Yeah. I just put spaghetti to hoops nil or something like that, and that ended <laughs> up being that. The, <laughs> that ended up being the the headline in the back of the paper. But that was one of those moments where I was like, I really made a point of you know I'm on my honeymoon for two weeks. I'm not going to be on old firm facts, and I deleted the Aye. Twitter app and everything like that. But there's some things you can't not tweet about, you know. Aye, that's I wish I kind of wish I'd thought of that now. Um, I that was I was raging about that day, so I tried to find <laughs> a wee bit of humour in it. Um, some columns I'd like to talk about. Oh, first of all, actually, I would like to say you've won quite a few awards. Scottish Football Supporters Association Best Writer Awards. You've won that three times. How does mm-hmm. that feel? Because it's a wee bit like when players say the players player of the year means the most because that's the people that, that really know. So if the fans are obviously are the ones who are, who are taking in your, your content and stuff, it must mean a wee bit more because yeah. they're, the, they're the target of the joke most times. Yeah, it means it means a lot actually, because um, I'd never, I'd never really won much before, and uh, before I got into this, and so it was it wasn't something I was expecting. And the first time I won it, it was uh, I didn't even know until I read something about Chris Sutton winning an award, and then you scrolled down the article, and it was like the other awards were this is best writer or whatever old farm facts. And I was like, all right, no one told me. I'll take it though, <laughs> and. Um, then they didn't have they didn't have the award the next year, and then the following two years I won it, and it was it's nice because I've got the, I've got them sitting on the mantelpiece, and it's like actually something tangible I can point to and say uh-huh. look I did something, and again it's another way of saying look uh, I'm doing something with my my career now I can actually point to and um exp- you know ex- explain to my grannies how uh, what I'm actually doing because they don't have a clue <laughs> what it is I do and they can actually say look it's I won something um but yeah it means it means a lot that fans are voting for it because I think it means that maybe I've kind of tapped into something that people are enjoying um and as much as it'd be lovely to win something from you know your peers or whatever in the industry I think um I think the sort of thing I do is maybe more likely to connect with fans than it is uh you know, industry recognition or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I can understand that, uh, to connect with fans more as opposed to industry recognition. However, I would also, I would have thought, maybe they have and it just hasn't actually come about and by way of, or by means of any award, but I would have thought that a fellow writer would look at what you're writing and realise how difficult it is 
to then weave proper laugh out loud jokes at it. And that's not me like mm-hmm. try to blow smoke up your ass or anything. But I, if I, the way I judge on whether I read a column, if it's Graham Spears, I'll read pretty much everything he writes because I like, I like the way he writes. I like, mm-hmm. I always have, even since way back when he was going on like Super Scoreboard back in like 2005. Um, mm-hmm. There's maybe one or two others and the rest is dependent on what the subject matter is. Whereas mm-hmm. with yours, I think you could probably write about your day and I'd be like, I know I'm going to laugh at this. So I'm always just yeah. going to click on it. I'll always be sort of entertained because mm-hmm. because it isn't easy to do that. Like to to have it basically the, the construct of, of what any column or article should be, but with carefully placed relevant jokes throughout. Well, the thing for me was like when I started getting the opportunity to write columns, like I knew I could write a joke. And I didn't necessarily know that when I started Old Fun Facts, but once I'd been doing it a while, I get confident that, yeah, I can write a joke. Um, but that doesn't necessarily translate into a column. And so it took, you know, and this is another thing I say to people when, I, when I'm when i speaking, to, you know, giving advice and all the rest of it is, you're not, you're, you're not going to be brilliant at it right away. You have to accept that there's, no matter how funny you are or how strong an opinion you have on a certain mm-hmm. subject, it's not necessarily going to translate into you being a brilliant writer brilliant journalist columnist whatever right off the bat you need to be able to listen to the advice that people give you on it and you also need to hold your ground and you know um you know stand firm to your your principles so you don't you don't have to just absorb everything people tell you but absorb some of it um mm-hmm. and so i would get what I, I would uh when i started writing uh the columns i would soak up all this sort of advice that people were giving but I would try and mold, uh, meld that with the the things that I knew worked for me. Like I, you know, I I was adamant. No, it has to it has to have this joke. It has to have this reference. And it's just a case of, you know, I found when I was working in the newsroom, you've got all sorts of people with different experience in there. So you've got journalists that have been writing about football for decades, and then you've got the kind of younger digital guys, and they all have different types of experience in that situation, and it's. I thought the best people were the people who could soak up advice from, you know, on, on what works on the, on the digital side of things and also from the older guys who've been around working in football for decades, what's worked for them as a journalist. And mm-hmm. they know how to craft a story. They know how to have a through line, you know, so that your attention's held from the minute you start reading it. You don't just drift off halfway through and yeah. all the rest of it. Um and so for me as a as a writer, I know that I get better over time. And I look back on the first things that I wrote maybe for Glasgow Live just when I was starting, and I could look back on it and go, there's jokes in there, but here's a bit where I'm I think I'm trying too hard. I think this bit I've maybe used too many words because I'm trying to convince people that I can write. And it's one thing that you learn the more you write is that sometimes less is more. Like mm-hmm. you're not you don't have to jam-pack a sentence you don't have to have massive long paragraphs if you can keep it concise and keep the reader's attention um and just make sure that you're setting up those jokes or if it's a serious long read that i'm writing that you're not going off on mad tangents that you're actually keeping it tight and keeping the reader's attention and that way if you've got their attention then it's easier to convince them of your point of view or it's easier uh, for them to find the humor in it Mm-hmm. Well, you, you've struck the balance well. I, I think you struck the balance so well with your columns. You've got that you've well, you've had previously the old firm facts ones, but then you've had the ones under your name. We'll we'll talk about yeah. the first 
We'll talk about the old fun facts ones because like stuff about Celtic Mussolini's granddaughter and the whole <laughs> the old like rivalry stuff. And anybody who hasn't read it will be like, What? And and I guess yeah. like it's hilarious for and that that's still like an ongoing battle and like rivalry. Um mm-hmm. other stuff like that. I I kinda tend to laugh at the stuff when it's an article about say Lionel Messi's broken a record and he's described as X Rangers target. <laughs> Lionel Messi <laughs> Because it's obviously <laughs> It's playing up to it and it's sort of mm-hmm. satirising the whether it happened or not, but the way in which things would be framed. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe if they, they came from a certain source. Uh, those are all funny, but the the ones under your own name, like you sort mm-hmm. of you do the annual thing where you say like, "Don't be a dick to service staff or retail staff mm-hmm. at Christmas." Yeah. Um, stuff about Neil Lennon, maybe listening to Morelos's racism claims. Mm-hmm. These kind of things. I mean, tell how important is it? And the Marcus Rashford one, stick to sports, mate. Yeah, uh, and also supporting the on the ball initiative mm-hmm. at Celtic Park. So, I mean, talk me through these. How important is it for you to to be able to get your point across and, and be serious while having a bit of humour? It's been a big thing for me being able to have that freedom and then sort of trying to strike the balance because I know that people followed old firm facts for the jokes, and I know that no one is like. I'm desperate to know what old firm facts political opinions are, but I've been lucky enough to get into a position where there's a bit of a follow, I built up a bit of a following there, and I've managed to get myself into platforms where I can write columns. And so, if I'm if if I've thought of something funny, I'll write that column and I'll write the the messy thing. But if there's mm-hmm. something that's on my mind, like for instance the Marcus Rashford thing, the whole um, the whole story behind that was that when high-profile athletes like Marcus Rashford and LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick were talking about their experiences of racism. People who disagreed with them were shouting them down and saying, stick to sports, mate. And you're thinking, well, that is, you're, you're, you're basically trying to keep people in a box there. And mm-hmm. these, are, these are people with platforms who are using those platforms in a responsible way to highlight uh, systemic racism. And those people should be applauded for it. And the ideal response to that would be listen to what they're saying and maybe learn something. But people were just trying to shout them down and go, you're just a footballer. Well, we've seen in the last few months with Marcus Rashford that he's not just a footballer, that he's actually been able to implement and drive societal change. And he wouldn't have been able to do that to anywhere near the same extent if he'd just been a guy. But he was a guy who was playing for one of the biggest football teams in the world, who was playing for his country as well. Uh, so he had a massive platform and he had he showed the kind of courage and the maturity to use that platform and bring those stories to people's attention. So I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm really into people doing that. And even uh, I've written a couple of times about people like Graham Soonis, who you would think of kind of as more old school. And I'd always written off as a bit of a kind of dinosaur. Mm-hmm. He he's used his platform uh, in front of millions of viewers on Sky Sports to talk about uh, LGBTQ plus issues and about his kind of awakening with that kind of thing. Like he didn't know anything about that world, mm-hmm. and he started talking about that on Sky Sports. Um, and he's talked about Black Lives Matter as well. And thinking this is something to really be applauded. You know, people who could quite comfortable older generation. And you think when we're talking about pressing issues like on, on race or homophobia, um, you just write off a lot of the older generation and think they don't care mm. or whatever. But he's a guy in his 60s who's actually using his platform for good 
um, to talk about that kind of thing. And so, so I, I like to use the the Adam Miller columns to talk about that those mm-hmm. sort of subjects. It's good that you're able to do that. It's such a pleasant surprise about um, Graham Souness. I wasn't aware of that at all. Uh, yeah. I actually listened to X Man United Newcastle, uh, and I think I well no, I know Blackburn winger uh, Keith Gillespie. Uh, in an interview last night and he was talking about Sunis and just basically saying old school gave me a terrible torrid time pretty horrible for no reason so yeah it's, it's like you you wouldn't assume that, that he would be sort totally. of of that stand same like Neville Southall as well he's, he's been, if, amazing. He's been he's, absolutely amazing Southall yeah. Neville, for anybody unaware Neville Southall was the Everton goalkeeper wasn't he like yeah. sort of legendary Everton goalkeeper uh, who is very very forward thinking and progressive and he's his views the way he conducts himself in the way that he puts it across, which you just, as you say, older generation, and I, I don't mean it in a yeah, disparaging a horrible way, but he almost, if you're just to look at him, you think Brexit poster boy. That's that. As I'm being honest, but you just, you, you just, I think a lot of people, uh, younger people, are were kind of guilty of just assuming that, you know. Once you get to a certain age, it's like this sort of stereotype of you get more right wing as you get older, you and you think and... Uh, exactly, and you think by the time you get to that age, they've just either got no interest in politics or they're set in their ways and mm-hmm. they're not open to change. And that might be true for a lot of people, but you see these examples like Sunis and Southall and people like that. That that means there's no excuse for you know. Uh, your your racist uncle or whatever. There's no excuse mm-hmm. for them to just be like, no, I'm I'm set in my ways and all this Black Lives Matter or transgender stuff is just modern nonsense. It's not modern nonsense, it's progress. And you can either get on board or just be left behind like a dinosaur, you know? Mm. Another one, final one I want to touch on, the three young women who have been instrumental uh, in the provision of free period products. Is that what you call them, San? That's, I've probably yeah. just made the most... No, no, it's, uh, it's, it's faux it's pas. Uh, is it yeah. is it all right? Or like sanitary yeah. products, um, the provision of them at football grounds started out with Celtic Park. Pretty sure Ellie mm-hmm. Galaxy are now on board. Teams up and down yeah. Britain across Europe, um, and now Scotland's become the first country in the world to pass the bill or to mm-hmm. to, to sort of put the law or make it into law that um, these products will be free for everybody, which is great. And yeah, you were very vocal at the start with your support of them, weren't you? Yeah, it was what it was. Uh, it was. Did I name those... them? Did I get? Did I name them? By the way, there. I think you did. Uh, Aaron McKayla and Orla again, just in case I never, because they deserve oh, all no, the credit for that. Didn't didn't name them personally. Yeah, sorry. The group. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I, it's Aaron McKayla and Orla, so you can thank them for getting the ball rolling. If you yeah. have benefits from that. <laughs> well, we. Um, it was just one of these things that came to my attention. I can't even remember how how it first came to my attention but it was quite early on in their activism and it might have been around the time they were sort of uh, appealing to Celtic to get on board with mm-hmm. it and I just thought this was it, this was a really good example of something that probably you and I didn't know much about and had never no, really thought had, about much no clue until they spoke about it because why would why would we and it's and because it's it's not just an issue at football grounds it's it's an issue at various places up and down the country but by bringing football into it I think it meant that a lot of people like ourselves who wouldn't necessarily have given it any kind of thought before were Mm. confronted with this issue and thought actually that is a kind of like oversight why is that not like that should be that's an essential item why are women 
being put into awkward and potentially embarrassing uh, difficult positions when there seems like a relatively straightforward answer to this. And, you know, the more I read about it, like they're really um Erin Orlan Michaela, they're they're like really, really like articulate and passionate in the way that they they've put this uh, campaign together. And so many people who just wouldn't have given it much of a thought have got on board with it. And it's amazing the way that the, the campaign's grown and now to the point where they've achieved, you know, they've, they've achieved this breakthrough with the Scottish government as well. It's been like inspiring and it shows the power of activism when it's, you know, when there's passion behind it and when there's you know, intelligence and, uh, you know, a real flair for engaging with people and it shows what can be done from kind of grassroots level yeah so it's been a big thing for me to kind of over the last couple of years occasionally you know i'll I'll, I'll be i'll tweet about it quite a lot but i've written the i've written a couple of things as well and it's been amazing to see the work that they've done and the the success that they've had with it Mm, they're absolutely fantastic and they deserve all the success and support that they get um speaking of success again the better you do the more people want to speak to you you've made multiple appearances on various audio shows like radio and podcasts and stuff was the first one that you were on off the ball uh i think so um i've done quite a lot of podcasts so i might have maybe been on one or two before that but it's definitely off the ball was a uh, definitely one of if not the first and uh, i've done it a few times now off the ball and it never it never stops being sort of surreal to me to be mm. in there and involved in it when it was a show that I grew up listening to. But you know, the last time I was on compared to the first time, it's like night and day in terms of how nervous you are. Because now yeah. I can go on. Um, obviously, with the uh, with the pandemic, I've not been in the studio and done it for a while. But like the last time I was on, I felt you know I'm relaxed. I know how it goes. I can sit here and have a laugh. And it's been like mm-hmm. that the last few times. But the first time you go on and you hear that music, you, you know, that greetings and all the rest of it and, and Stuart and Tam talking. And I'm like, I'm just used to hearing these voices coming out of my radio. And now I'm here and I'm, and it's yeah. like, be funny, be like, be, yeah. you know, be funny and be funny live. So like, I, I, I really love doing it, but doing it live was it's a completely different ball game from having the time to write a tweet or write a column where you're sort of doing it at your own pace, actually being trying to be funny live in that kind of environment mm-hmm. takes getting you takes some getting used to. It, but uh, yeah, no, okay. doing it. I, I can fully relate. It's it's I, what I've found with every if I've ever done anything like multiple times. The first time, all I'm thinking about is who's watching or who's listening. Yeah. And then the second or third time around, you start to forget and you remember. Oh, I'm just talking to an to an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually I had a funny one the other night. I was on Sports Sound and uh, Craig Levine was on, right. and I was asked to speak about when uh, Neil Lennon in general. And I said, "Well, you know, after the 2019 Scottish Cup final, everybody was on a massive high, and, and then Craig just butts in and goes, I wasn't on a high.' And then you're like, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's in that moment, it brought me yeah. back, and I was like, I'm just talking to him. It was him, Daryl yeah. Broadfoot, Kenny McIntyre, Gary Caldwell was on, and a guy mm-hmm. Stephen Ray as well." Uh, and it kind of just brings you back in the room and you go, oh, aye, you know, it's it's not like, um, you don't you don't think you're speaking to thousands of people, think you're, you're around a table and have mm-hmm. a conversation with those people there and then you, you start to come back into into yourself and more natural, I suppose. Well, the thing that, that Off The Ball does really well is 
it is it's just guys sitting in a room and although there's an audience of thousands it feels like just guys sitting in the pub and yeah. that's what once you get used to that surrounding that environment the, the studio you realize that that's the atmosphere they want to create and Stuart and Tam as much as it it sounds on you know when you're listening to it, it's like an informal uh, kind of knockabout sort of thing you realize that they're really professional with it as Boy. well they're sitting having a laugh but they never they don't miss their cues or whatever and they they work really hard to bring you into it you know if they feel like you, you get a sense for maybe the other guest has been talking quite a bit and you've not said anything they'll be aware of that and they'll try and bring you into the conversation and all the rest of it. So it's like that kind of mix of the informal feel of it, but it's done mm-hmm. in a professional way. And I think you realise, like, whether it's off the ball or sports sound like you were on, and I've done things like uh, Good Morning Scotland on the BBC a few times, they, they, they don't want you to be nervous. They don't want you to feel like you're uh, on trial or whatever. They want you to have fun with it. They want you to... You know, if it's a serious subject on Good Morning Scotland, not necessarily have fun, but they want you to feel that you can contribute. They don't want you to yeah. feel nervous. They want you to feel relaxed, and that makes for better radio. Definitely, it takes it takes a lot of skill and a lot of planning to seem to make your show or your your presentation seem so unplanned and so informal. Totally. It's like I always think of the Dolly Parton quote, where she said it takes a lot of money to look this cheap, <laughs> and it's like it takes a lot of work to seem this casual. Um, Janice Forsyth is another person uh, being, being in with Janice in the studio is is like a pure masterclass watching her just yeah. so it's the level of preparation and detail that she mm-hmm. puts in um, she, and you're talking for a show even for like a 30 minute segment on a Tuesday let's say mm-hmm. she will be researching all weekend so that yeah. she's covered every single base yet at the same time she's kind of dancing about behind her mic and all that and it's uh, just a, a complete pro um, I, I love watching Kenny McIntyre as well I was really impressed with him again it's it's stating the obvious it's his job he's been doing it for years but when you're watching him in full flow and you're like it looks as if or sorry it sounds as if you're reading off a teleprompter and you're mm-hmm. not you're essentially <laughs> to quote I think to quote David Brent you're essentially just freestyling yeah. Um, well, it's, it's funny because like you, you know guys like me and you that are relatively new to the media and all that we could come into that environment and go ah well we've got thousands of followers on twitter or whatever so we know what we're doing but we don't really like when we oh yeah we, like we're totally learning this stuff and so i think some of the people that fail are the people that you know that don't get where they'd like to be in this sort of world are the people that think, well, I've built up an audience so I now understand how it works. The key is to, when you get into that environment, is watch what Janice Forsyth does or what Stuart and Tam do. Or, what, or you know, when I was in the newsroom, watch what the guys who've been on that Daily Record sport desk have been doing yeah. for decades because they might take a slagging on Twitter or whatever, but these guys are recognised as among the best in their business and they, yeah. they, they, they can write, you know, and... People will disagree with their opinions or whatever, but these guys have made successful careers for themselves. And I really appreciated as well when I was in there that these guys would give me advice and I would be, uh, I thought we ended up, I think there was potentially when I went in, I was worried that there'd be a kind of, these people would look at me like I'm some upstart, like some cocky wee guy off Twitter or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I also had this kind of preconception that they're, that'd just be like a desk of old hacks or whatever like cigarette smoke rising exactly like yes you know yesterday's men and i'm you know 
and we're, we're the, the, new, the new guard of social media washing these guys away or whatever. And it's yeah. totally not like that. You, you get in and I was just, I loved learning from guys who've been in that industry for ages. And also I think that they can learn, you know, in, from what we do on social media and all that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. when you get that respect from those two different sides of it, it works really well. So it's important, like when, when we're, working with Stuart, Tam, Janice Forsyth and whoever, like to actually sit and watch how did they manage to sustain a career for decades doing this? It wasn't because they fluked it, it's because they worked really hard at it and they're really good at it. Absolutely, I completely agree. And as I was saying earlier, it's easy to get caught up in the whole, as I say, becoming a product of your environment. And what you do growing up, you echo what people older than you say. So whatever I heard on the supporters bus, or in the stands, or in the pub, or in the house, you start to echo that, mm-hmm. and you say, oh, this person's a daft or this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, because they disagree with your opinion, and maybe yeah. you don't like the way they put it across, but I think yeah. as you kind of get older, you become a wee bit wiser, a bit more long in the tooth, and you go, oh, hold on a minute, as you've kind of just pointed out there, these people are the, the best in the business, because they wouldn't be doing the job if they weren't, because there's certainly no shortage of people snapping at their heels to, exactly. to come in and take their place as well. There was um, a good, uh, good bit of advice I got, when I was at the record and we were, I was talking to one of the senior guys there about a uh, criticism. I can't remember if I was talking about people giving me abuse or people giving them abuse or whatever, but they said the amount of people who, you know, are struggling writers who will slag things off, but they would bite your hand off to be in that opportunity, to be given oh, yeah. that opportunity to write. And essentially said, you'd rather be in the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in. <sighs> and that's what, I think that's how it is for you. I mean, you get, if you write about Celtic or Rangers, you're going to get tons of abuse no matter how you do it. Um, mm. And you could be a broadsheet guy like Graham Spears or a tabloid guy like Keith Jackson or a digital social media guy or whatever. If you write about those subjects, you're going to get abuse. And, you know, it's up to you to a try and rise rise above that, but also make sure that your work is as well researched or as well argued, you know, or as well written mm-hmm. as possible, so that if someone's giving you abuse, you can feel confident in yourself that no, they're just saying that because they're biased. If they say something that's if if their abuse is kind of articulated well and all that, and they've maybe pointed out something in your article, and you look back in it and go, actually, I didn't write that well. That's the sort of abuse or criticism that would stay with you but if they're just calling you a dick and because they don't you know because you've said something critical about their team there's no point in letting that kind of stuff worry you yeah i completely agree i'm just going to get an example right mm-hmm. of that of you saying about being well researched and 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 sort of something i think that just completely sums it up and it's just come back to mind so i'll read it out but just to explain so this is an example mm-hmm. of no matter who you are or what you do there's always going to be somebody no matter how well you do it, there's going to be someone mm-hmm. telling you it's terrible, uh, it's rubbish, and there's probably other root cause of it. You know how they always say, mm-hmm. when you're trying to identify the reasoning for something or the explanation for something, the most obvious and simple explanation usually is the one that is, is correct. Yeah. So here's somebody has written, right, I'll just read this out. So this is from person one. Not only do masks reduce your oxygen and increase your carbon dioxide intake, which makes you wheeze or gasp, they also provide perfect warm, damp breeding grounds for pathogens to breathe in that will progressively make you ill. For those who want more respiratory illnesses, job done. So the reply comes from person two. Absolutely none of that is true. Person one says, 
and your exact qualifications for stating that are? Person two replies, a degree in medicine and fellowship of the Royal College <laughs> of Anaesthetists, for which I was examined in respiratory physiology and the mechanics of gas transfer. What are yours? And the person replied, said, too many to list here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what that reminds me of? There's a guy, um, David Simon, who created the, the show, the TV show, The Wire, and yeah. he was he's very outspoken on Twitter, and he, he, The Wire was so much about... Uh, politics and the police and various issues in Baltimore and he was getting into an argument with someone about you know something to do with politics in Baltimore and this person said you clearly don't understand the situation maybe you should watch The Wire and he's like oh, well mate, I created The Wire so <laughs> I don't think I need to watch it. <laughs> what, do you, like, what can you possibly say back to that yeah. but it, it just totally encapsulates that whole notion of who are these people that are, that would say these things? Are that you know you're you're an anonymous person on a Twitter site, or, you know, a website such as Twitter, which already is known as an absolute hellhole of poison, yeah. um, not to be taken too seriously. I'm still trying to trying to adjust to that. Um, so all advice welcome from anybody. Um, something I was else I was going to touch on. How professional I have just completely forgotten. Yes, sorry. Um, obviously. A long stint working, reached PLC as in Glasgow Live, Dealer Record and stuff, but you've now moved on yeah. to the, the parent company's GRV Media. Is That's that right? right? Yeah. yeah. So I've just, uh, with uh, Reach, it was amazing for me to to work for, for Glasgow Live and Daily Record. Um, but the nature of the role changed, with, you know, a few months ago. And for a number of reasons, it just wasn't the right fit anymore. And I was I hung on in there because you know I was getting paid a salary, and above all else, I was like I didn't want to just give up writing for the Daily Record, which is something I'd wanted to do for so many years. But I was like, mm-hmm. it's really not making me happy. This, and aside from it not making me happy, it was kind of having a detrimental impact on my health to a degree because I've got an underlying health condition, and it was, uh, you know, stress is not a good factor with that, and then. The hours and the nature of it were meaning that I wasn't able to do other things in my life that I wanted to out with work. And this new role, I'm going to have a lot of creative freedom to to Mm -hmm. write those old from facts columns as well as the new stuff. I'm going to have settled shifts. Um, It's worked out really, really well. You know, I start a week on Sunday. I've had a lot of good meetings with the, the guys at, at GRV. I've got a really good feeling about it. And the biggest thing for me is that I get to continue writing these columns and also have the scope to go into other areas, which I'll hopefully be able to talk about soon. Mm-hmm. Well, best of luck with everything. Um, ah, thanks, I'm, sure. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to seeing it all. Um, I suppose I this, I'll, I'll, I'll wind it up here because there'll be more to mm-hmm. return to, I'm sure, in the future. But mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for you taking the time to, to no, come and talk. It's been a good laugh. Um, I would direct anybody if you want. It's at Old Form Facts One, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Who's who? So who made Old Form Facts without a number? Do you know? Right when when uh, I came up with the title, it took me like two seconds to think of Old Form Facts. It was like if I'd known that it was going to take off and be a thing, then I would maybe yeah. put more thought into coming up with the title. But I was just like. Old fun facts. There's a bit of alliteration with the Fs there. 
it, yeah. but you know, it covers the old firm. Didn't even cross my mind that the term old firm might be controversial. And yeah. uh, if, I'd, if I'd thought about that for two seconds, it might have saved me about 5,000 angry notifications over the last <laughs> year. But I, I just thought, well, it's catchy enough and it covers what I'm, what I'm tweeting about. Um, and when I went to register it, I saw it wouldn't let me take old firm facts because someone already had that. So I looked at the account that had old firm facts and the guy hadn't tweeted for years. It was just the guy that registered the account. And I think he'd, this, maybe his last tweet was something like, in 1979, Kenny Dalgleish did this or whatever. And um, I was like, well, I'll just stick a one at the end of it. And the guy, because he didn't use Twitter, you know, he didn't mm-hmm. know anything about it. But that first time that I was on Off the Ball, people were hearing them say, we've got Adam from Old Fun Facts. And they were going on to Twitter. And they started tweeting this guy, who yeah. was obviously confused at first. But what I thought was pretty funny was he ended up after that changing his profile picture to the same as my profile picture. I've, I've and, actually just noticed that, and he's got a yeah. blog and all that. <laughs> yeah, so he, he changed his profile picture to the same as mine, which I, was, I had to like fair play, fair play. That's yeah. if I'd thought yeah. of that myself. But um, cheeky. Wee- old firm facts <laughs> but he must have got like over the years he must anytime he goes on you know he doesn't use that account but if he opens it up you, you'll have all these notifications just like yeah. <laughs> June 2018 calling him an arsehole and you won't have a clue what it's about but... he's actually there's a time where somebody's tweeted uh, you tried to tweet you Irvin Welsh and Stuart Cosgrove and he's replied saying, I get mistakenly added to these tweets, dot, 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 constantly, and then he's tagged you. And it's like, well, I wonder why. <laughs> you could quite easily resolve that, mate, but you're choosing not to, but fair enough. Just yeah. keep an eye on it. You might be able to get it in the future. Well, no, again, thanks very much, mate, for taking the time. I've really enjoyed this. It's been a great laugh. Well, thanks for having me on, Sean. I really enjoyed the show. A real pleasure. And thank you to you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to catch or find Adam's funny part, you can get him at Old Fun Facts one don't get the imposter thanks again and we'll be back soon Blethered was written recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information go to thebiglight.com if you like this podcast please check out all our other series including Talk Media you could start a fight in an empty house Talking Derry Girls Brave Your Day The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.